thankful for our greeting team, our coffee team, that makes this like a, well, a warm and welcoming place. Uh, thank you guys for all that you do, welcoming us, coming into the building, serving us hot coffee, having it all ready for us. You guys are amazing. Yeah, there we go. Come on. <clears throat> I have some other cool news that I'm thankful for. Have you guys seen our, our new administrative headquarters, our ministry headquarters? Just up the road here a little bit. Um, as of today, it is paid in full. <clears throat> um, we, uh, a lot of different people have uh, contributed. We've had, of course, a couple of families that have been significant contributors uh, towards that project. But uh, I had an, we had an experience, my family had an experience. Eight years ago, we moved into our first home. And uh, growing up as, a, as a, a, a child of missionaries, we moved a lot. And so I really had no concept of, of what it meant to have your own place. I just, I just knew that it would mean we would move less, and I was thankful for that. Um, I knew there would be some equity uh, that we could build rather than paying rent. I was thankful for that. But when we moved in, there was just this, this, new, th this new feeling of like, uh, of just sort of peace and like stability, right, in, in our own home uh, for our family that I didn't anticipate. And it's been the same way for our, our uh, ministry team moving into a space that is adequate for what we do during the week. To have the place to do that, uh, the space to do that, that is, uh, really works well for us, has been such a blessing, I think, in ways that we're just coming to realize now. Um, and to be able to go through that process, to be where we're at now, to not have a penny of debt that we owe on that property uh, just after getting into that property, it's just been such a tremendous blessing uh, that I'm so thankful for. So let's give it up for all those who have contributed to make that happen. I'm going to tell one last story, and then I promise I'll teach the Bible, okay? Um, when we... Uh, this was probably uh, probably close to two years ago. We were looking at properties around town uh, to purchase properties, and um, we uh, we just weren't finding something that we felt was workable at a price that was reasonable. And uh, during that time, uh, my brother Jason, who's a contractor here in town, came to me and he said, "Hey." What do you think about me proposing new construction to the board at Church on the Rock? And I said, um, you can do whatever you want. I would, of course, be recused from that decision-making process because of our relationship. But I can't give you any guarantees, but if you want to do the legwork and put together a plan, I, I can't stop you either. You're welcome to do that. And so he did. He submitted a plan to the board. And that's actually the, the plan that the board ended up going with. Well, after we got done, we had to insure the building. Um, so we had to have evaluation done on the building to, you know, replacement costs for our building if it were to burn. And the evaluation that the insurance company put on our completed building was double what we paid to get into that building. So thank you to Jason Weiser and Weiser Homes. <clears throat> Uh, 
Okay, this is church. It's time to talk about the Bible. We are jumping into a new series. Uh, we, if you can remember this far back, before the holidays began, uh, before we did that one Sunday where we all skipped church, remember that? That was crazy. Uh, we were in a series covering the, a few chapters in John, John 14 through 17, which is the final conversation uh, that uh, Jesus had with his close friends before he was to die. And I don't know about you, but that series was just so valuable for me. Uh, my own study was so fruitful. Uh, the things that I was able to draw from that was just so valuable. Um, we had a couple different people share. Philip Licht uh, shared during that series on the, the promise of the Holy Spirit. That was so great. Uh, anyways, so then we took a little bit of break, did a Christmas, and now what we're going to do is we're going to spend the next four weeks looking at the final scenes of, of Jesus' life here on earth. Uh, in fact, we're going to divide it into four scenes. And what I want to do in particular through this series is uh, examine uh, carefully uh, the behavior, the, the actions, and the words of Jesus as he navigates uh, the greatest test of his life, of his earthly life. Um, the things that we say, the things that we do, the way that we act, when the pressure is on us the most, uh, says a lot about who we are, right? It says a lot about, in fact, it says everything about our heart condition, our priorities. It says a lot about how we perceive of God. And so what I want to do is I want to take each of these scenes and look at them and look at what Jesus does, look at what he says, and then draw some lessons from that. So today what I want to do uh, is I want to look at uh, the, the first scene of these final moments, and that is the Garden of Gethsemane. So after their supper together, after they celebrated uh, the very first communion, a tradition that we carry on today thousands of years later, uh, after they were finished with that supper, they left the home that they were using, and they went to a garden at night uh, to, to sort of get away and spend some time in prayer. And so uh, I want to look at that scene now, and what I want to do is as we go through that, uh, that scene of these final moments, um, I want to look at the topic of uh, trusting God. Uh, Jesus is making a decision uh, as to whether or not he will trust the plans of his Father. And so what I'm going to do is we're going to just, I'm going to tell this story. We're going to work through the story. And um, I had actually planned to give you four observations about trust as we go through this story. And then this morning, I was just buttoning up my PowerPoint and a fifth one just demanded to be shared. So I'm going to add a fifth one. So we'll, uh, we'll go through five observations. I'm going to move fairly quickly because uh, we are going to do communion together. But this will be a great teaching uh, that will lead us right into uh, a communion time together. So are you ready? Has anyone ever had an issue with trusting God? Yeah. Okay. I'm talking to you. Um, I have had, I remember a time when Jenny and I were, I was a full-time Bible school student. She was working as a lab tech at a hospital in Chicago, and I remember we had no money. And I don't mean like no money, I mean like 
no money. It's a difficult time to trust God. I remember having to walk away from uh, a job that I loved years ago. It's a difficult time to trust the Lord. We had an incident uh, just, this was like two months ago. My youngest son, Bo, was trying to, to see how many consecutive backflips he could do on the trampoline. The goal was four. And on the fourth one, he landed in such a way that he couldn't move, he couldn't move his legs. My wife called me and said, I've already called the ambulance. You should probably come home. Our youngest son is on the trampoline and cannot, has, has no function in his legs. And I thought, yeah, that makes sense. I asked him at the, at the emergency room later, I was like, so you were trying to do four consecutive backflips? He said, no, I did four consecutive backflips. I just didn't land the last one. <laughs> Got it. It's an opportunity to trust, right? When, you're, when, when your children are vulnerable, right? Matthew 26, we're going to pick it up in verse 36. And Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. I'm not going to, so we're going to read through a decent amount of this story. I don't have all of it up here, but if you want to read along with me, you can in your own Bible. So again, so he leaves with the 12. They go to this place and he says, I want you to, to sit here and spend some time this evening praying together. And then he took with him Peter and James and John. So of the 12, he took three and he began to be grieved and distressed. And he shared this with them. He said, my, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Could you stay here with me and, and, and keep watch? And so they hunkered down and, and Jesus moved a little bit beyond them, beyond the three, and he fell on his face and prayed. He said, my father, if it is possible, would you take away this cup from me? But not my will, your will be done. And after he had prayed for a little bit, he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, could you not keep watch with me for even an hour? Keep watching and keep praying that you might not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Here's my first observation. Trust is a muscle that cannot be willed into strength. This is what I mean by that. Jesus says to his disciples, uh, you don't understand the, the challenge that's in front of you, the temptation that's coming, right? The trial that's on its way. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You don't currently have in your possession the resources to face this trial 
and, and come through it successfully, you're going to stumble. And I'm asking you that you would invest through prayer resources so that you would have the strength not to stumble. I know you're willing to face it, but you don't understand what it's going to require of you. Trust is a muscle that cannot be willed into strength. Trust is something that I learn and develop over time as I invest in growing in my trust. I cannot simply, by decision, learn to trust God. It's a process of heart conditioning that takes place over time. It is the development of strength over time through investing in our connection to God, our relationship with God, uh, walking uh, consistent with His principles. It's through that process over time that we develop the capacity to trust well as a natural instinct to where that's our first reaction, right? Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. That is the sign of immaturity in our faith walk is an over-attachment to our own understanding. In fact, it's an incredibly strong attachment that takes some weaning over time to, to separate ourselves from, leaning on our own understanding and trusting the Lord with a whole heart. Trust is a muscle that I can't just will into existence. It takes a process of growth and maturity to develop strong trust muscles. Jesus says, guys, there's something coming. It's going to test your trust muscles like nothing ever has. And if you're going to pass that test, it's time to invest now. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians. This is another passage that I think is, has gotten kind of a, a bad rap. Again, because it's used dismissively. I mentioned one last week that I felt the same about. 1 Corinthians 10.13, which basically says um, that any temptation or trial that you face, you need to understand that God will provide you a way of escape, right? So whatever you encounter, you can have confidence knowing that God will provide you a pathway to it to be successful in navigating that trial. And I've heard people say, well, I failed the trial, so obviously that's not really the case, right? We cannot blame our lack of conditioning on the Lord. Because there are some, there, there are moments where there is a trust required of us in our relationship with God that if you have not been conditioning your heart, be ready for that moment, you will not have it. This is why we stumble, right? Because we're not developing and conditioning. He says, I will provide you all of the resources to navigate that trial. It's up to you to utilize those resources, right? To grab a hold of those resources. To be walking in the gradual transformation into the image of Christ. The disciples were underprepared. And in their case, 
In this instance, they were underprepared because they were sleepy. He says, guys, I don't know how else to tell you. You need to be ready for what's coming, and you're not. Pray that you won't fall into temptation. Ask the Lord for help. Make that your objective right now. Overcome whatever is holding you back. Prepare yourself. Picking it up in verse 42, he went away again a second time, and he prayed, and he said, my father, if this cup cannot be taken unless I drink it, then your will be done. And again he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy, and he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. And then he came to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Here's my second observation. Trust is a painful experience of being alone. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Proverbs 14, verse 10 and also verse 13. The heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not share its joy. Even in laughter, the heart may be in pain, and the end of joy may be grief. Uh, The writer of, of Proverbs speaking from a place of wisdom, is saying, uh, there are times where you will walk through experiences that even even the most uh, kind and caring and loving people in your life simply cannot fully relate to. You will be called to a level of trust that ultimately no one can fully take that burden away from you. Many of you have been in that place where, and it's not a criticism against the people around you, there's just the recognition that there's a portion of this, no matter how I tried to explain it to the people that love me and care for me, no matter what effort I would give, they can never fully understand the weight of what's being asked of me right now, the the challenge of this trial. No one can ever fully join you in the depths of your questions, your uncertainty, or your doubt, your your struggle to trust God. But God's Spirit can meet you there. God's Spirit fully knows because God's Spirit was with Christ as Christ wrestled. Jesus, in his moment of testing, he eventually becomes concerned primarily for their well-being, right? Not only have they been unable to really understand his burden, but they're so disconnected from what's happening, he ends up sort of carrying their burden in his moment of trial. Trust oftentimes is a painful experience of being alone. 
And yet it's also a place where the Holy Spirit meets us and we find uh, a closeness to Jesus in those moments like no other. Matthew 26, verse 47. While he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs. He came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him gave them a sign. He said, whoever I kiss, he will be the one. Seize him. And so immediately Judas, there in the dark, saw Jesus. He recognized him. He went to him and he said, hail, rabbi. And he kissed him and Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. So the men who were with him laid hands on Jesus. They seized him and they bound him. My third observation is this. Trust in God is often complicated by untrustworthy people. It's not God that I have issue with. It's the rest of you guys. I'm pretty sure you're going to mess it up. I'm pretty sure this is not what God wants. I trust God's heart. I trust God's intentions. It's you that I don't trust. And I'm not sure how those two coincide that I could be simultaneously wanting to trust you with my whole heart and yet at the same time very skeptical of what you're trying to, to do and how that fits into God's sovereign plan. Trust is often complicated by untrustworthy people. A couple weeks ago, actually the last Sunday of November, I talked about making the decision in a particular situation about when I should lay my life down. It's a difficult question, right? When should I lay down and when should I stand up and walk away? It's a difficult question. Trusting God is often complicated by untrustworthy people. God, I want to trust you, but do I trust you by letting this person do what they're going to do? Or do I trust you by standing up against something? What it boils down to for us is we have to be able to hear from the Lord informed by our understanding of his character and his will, come to a place where we trust him even in the face of the destructive actions of untrustworthy people. Do I believe that my God is big enough, strong enough, powerful enough, good enough, that his good intentions and purposes for me have not been sabotaged by this untrustworthy person. If your trust in God is negated by your distrust in people, then ultimately you have a weak view of God's sovereignty. Do you find in your heart that your natural disposition 
towards people who are untrustworthy is to entrust them to the Lord fully. To the extent that you find peace in those relationships even. You are not a nice person. And whether you like this or not, God's in charge of you too. And he's going to use your not niceness to accomplish his perfect plan. I don't know how. It's going to be a challenge for him, but I'm pretty sure he's going to do that. Trust in God is often complicated by untrustworthy people, but don't ever confuse the two. Continuing on, Matthew 26, verse 51, and behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword. We know from uh, Luke, this is Peter, struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. I'm guessing it had just been a while since Peter had used a sword, right? Because that's not typically what you would go for, but... Who knows? Maybe he was trying to be nice. Struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. And then Jesus said to him, Peter, dude, put your sword back into its place. For everyone who takes up the sword will die by it. Or do you think that I could not in this moment make an appeal to my Father in heaven who would at once put at my disposal more than 12,000 angels, which could have also been a fun story, right? You're under arrest. Hallelujah. 12,000 angels, right? Do you think that my Father in heaven does not, even in this moment, have at his disposal unlimited resources through which, without even his direct involvement, just say the word, he could overturn this? My fourth observation is that trust isn't usually about what God could do, it's about what he will do. Trust is often not a question about what God is capable of doing, it's more of a question about what he's going to do in my situation. I know that you have unlimited power but I haven't been a super great person recently, and I'm a little concerned that my not very niceness may discourage you from using that power on my behalf. I know you could, and I know you have with other people who are more deserving. My very narrow concern is that you're probably not going to do what I hope you do in my situation. Peter, do you understand, 
God has unlimited resources to prevent this from happening, and he has chosen up until this very moment to withhold those unlimited resources and allow it to happen. There's something going on. It's misleading and ultimately disappointing when my trust in God is based on a belief that he will ultimately align himself with my desired outcomes. I can trust God just in so much as he's willing to do and accomplish the things that I want him to do and accomplish, right? And if he will do those things, if he will align himself with my purposes, from my perspective, the things that I want, then yes, I could trust him. But I'm not sure that he's going to do that, and so I'm not sure that if I can trust him. The bad news is, is that trusting God is far more risky than that. had a few situations in my life where trusting the Lord led to the worst possible outcome that I could have conceived of. And you walk through it and you go, this is not good. And I'll bet you, if you're in that place right now where you're, it's a war to trust God, that if you were to seek out people that you know who have walked with the Lord for a long time, they would echo this sentiment. He has never failed me. He has always abundantly, richly, surprisingly done beyond what I could have expected. I craved lesser things he didn't give them to me. I wrestled to trust his decision in not giving me that lesser thing, and he surprised me with a greater thing. Jesus says, My Father, if it's possible, if it's within the realm of what you're considering right now, would you allow this cup to pass from me? But if, if, but if it can't, if there's no other, if there's no plan B, if there's no other option, I want to reaffirm to you right now in the midst of this dire situation that I am committed to your will being done now. If your will is that my, one of my closest friends is going to sell me to be murdered, for a crime that I didn't commit, I'm on board with that. I'm also open to other suggestions, but I trust you. When we move away from trust as just like a, a concept or like an idea, the way that it plays out in our, in our very real lives is that so many times we find ourselves wrestling to believe what God will do on my behalf and that what he actually does is truly good. Isaiah 55, verse 1. 
verse 8 and 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you comfort me. Why? Because in the valley of the shadow of death, you have been present in such a way to provide me the comfort needed to navigate that dark place. Last thing, this is number five. The bonus round. I invite the worship team to come up. Trust in God is about more than you and God. Trust in God is about more than you and God. First Peter two. Verse 23, while being reviled, he did not revile in return, and while suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to his Father who judges righteously, and in doing so, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed." In that moment of making that decision to trust the Lord, there's more on the line than just what's going on between Jesus and his Father. We're on the line. And that's the case for all of us. You don't have humanity on your shoulders, but in those moments where it feels like this very alone, like maybe we're not prepared for this, right? Uh, In those moments, recognizing that God's purpose for you is greater than you. And trusting him is what leads you to that greater purpose, which makes you a blessing to the people around you. And you become a vessel for his good purposes and goodwill towards others. Because trusting the Lord, even in that painful experience of being alone, even when it's complicated by untrustworthy people, even when you're not sure what he's going to do, trusting the Lord is about more than just you and God. It's about his purpose, good purposes, his amazing plans being fulfilled in and through your life for the blessing of others. I'm so thankful that in that moment, he entrusted himself. Aren't you? I feel like there was a lot on the line, and he entrusted himself. God, I'm so thankful that you entrusted yourself. I'm so thankful for the sacrifice of your son. I'm thankful for the life that we have in you. And I'm particularly thankful today uh, for this truth. You do not disappoint. May you become evermore the object of our greatest affection and our desires. May we be found in you. In Jesus' name. Amen.
end of the year. Time for reflection. And New Year's resolutions, of course. Uh, but also it's a new season for a lot of us. Uh, and for many of you in the, the last couple weeks and in the coming weeks, Jesus is speaking things to you that are unique for this time for you. Now's the time. If God was moving on your heart this morning, there'll be prayer available after. Uh, you can get prayer. Uh, also, speaking of prayer, uh, Bo, who injured himself on the trampoline, he is fine, and he's walking. Praise the Lord.